Isaiah chapter 57. They keep moving Florida every year. I'm going to think about moving. Man, the older you get, the harder it is to keep warm. Isn't it? My hands get cold and then I can't get them warm. My feet get cold and I can't get them warm. My head's always cold in this weather. I had a beanie and my daughter took it tonight. She needed a black beanie. Okay, I think I'm, I'll survive now. I don't really have much to say tonight. That's the truth. I just got a lot to read. So, book of Isaiah uh, reveals God's judgment and his salvation. So as you read through the book, uh, you have tremendous promises and yet tremendous warnings as well. Isaiah 6, as Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he says, holy, 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 or actually he sees the throne and then the angel saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, He's holy, he can't allow sin to go unpunished, but at the same time, he's gracious and merciful and compassionate uh, more than any of us. And it's only because of his mercy and his promises to Israel that he doesn't allow Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah to be completely destroyed because of his grace and his mercy. For those who will repent, uh, he promises, no matter how far they've gone away from him, no matter how far they've strayed, no matter what they've done, uh, he promises if they will repent, he'll bring restoration, forgiveness, uh, and healing. You know, some people try to make other things the unpardonable sin. There's only one unpardonable sin. I hope you understand that. You know, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the witness of who Jesus Christ is. And that's what the Pharisees did. They repeatedly rejected uh, everything they saw, everything they heard in terms of who he is. And that is the unpardonable sin because there's no other, there's no other way to be saved. If you reject Jesus, uh, there is no other way to be saved. And so God's offer of salvation is abundant, but in Isaiah, his warning uh, is also clear. Chapter 57 and verse 1, the righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. That's an interesting statement. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. And the idea is their body lies in death, but they're not dead. That's the idea. Uh, And that's an interesting statement to open with tonight because it tells us that some people uh, who are righteous by faith face death in the will of God just to save them from any more pain and calamity in this life. Interesting. Very interesting. I personally believe, it's my own personal conviction, uh, that in the adulterous relationship between David, King David, and Bathsheba, when the child was conceived, and then David tries to cover up you know, his sin, and then he commits a, not only adultery, but he lies, and then he commits murder. He has Bathsheba's wife, one of his mighty men, Uriah the Hittite, killed. And then when Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him, and he says, one of the consequences of your sin is God's going to take the child. 
Now, it's my conviction. You believe whatever you want because it's speculation, but I, but I have a conviction that uh, God took that child. One of the reasons, not just to deal with David and, of course, Bathsheba and their sin, but remember one of the things that Nathan said, not only is God going to take the child, but because of what David had done, especially in murdering Uriah the Hittite, he said, now the sword will never depart from your house. And there would be conflict and there would be turmoil as never before. And with David's family, remember what happened with Absalom. Uh, And it was just one conflict and one set of turmoil after the other. And God took that child and that child did not have to grow up in a home where a father was forgiven, but because of the terrible sin, the consequences of the sin, even though it was forgiven, went on for years and years. So it's interesting. Uh, you know, we we had a couple of cats. So a lot of you know the story. Years ago, I, first one came home without any permission from me. I just got there, and the cat was there. I asked my wife about it, and of course, what are you going to do? You you're a Christian. You can't divorce her. And uh, <laughs> so we we owned the cat. And his name was Boots. And uh, Boots, I shared Christ with Boots. Um. See, you heard the story before, and it's still funny. Uh, I shared boots with I shared Christ with boots many times. Uh, I'd hold uh, boots' head right here, and I'd share John three sixteen, and I'd and boots were just hard hearted, and uh, boots just never ever changed. And then my son Hayden, my second born, uh, well, started feeding this stray cat named Tiger. I mean, it, obviously the. The cat had not eaten well, and you could see the bones, you know, everything. And so I ended up, uh, you know, letting him adopt tigers. And now we got two cats. And that's an amazing thing for my household. Uh, So we got boots, and we got tiger. Now, tiger had been humbled in life. (laughs) See, that boots just spoiled. Uh, Came to our house as a young cat, uh, only knew, uh, you know, plush living and good food and but tiger tiger had known humble circumstances and i shared christ with tiger and i'm telling you what tiger got saved (laughs) i'm not kidding god is my witness that cat was and i haven't met many christian cats not many at all but tiger tiger was a christian cat and here's what happened as we got these cats for a while, you know, and uh, one day I come home and, and tragic news, tragic news. A tiger had run out into the road in front of our house uh, and a car had come by and the car hit tiger and uh, we weren't going to spend the kind of money to, for the vet and all and my wife, you know, took him to the vet and it was going to cost X amount of dollars to try to save him and even if we could save him, you know, he's going to live incapacitated and cripple the rest of his life and so we made a decision uh, to let Tiger go. And for a while I couldn't understand. I was bothered. I really was because the only Christian cat I've had a personal relationship with. And I couldn't understand for a while why God let Tiger die. And then it hit me. And it's right here in the text. The righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout cats are taken away. 
And no one, under, no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. First of all, Tiger didn't have to live with Boots anymore. <laughs> Boots was demon-possessed, not just not a Christian. Not, you ask, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, my wife one day finally sent Boots to hell. Uh, came home, and we, we had heard this noise at night. And I'm, I'm going to finish this story real quick, I promise. Uh, and, and next morning we get up and Wendy said, did you let Boots in the house last night? I said, I didn't let Boots in. And what happened is Boots, we heard this noise and this scratching and I know it was Boots outside and Boots scratched through the screen, got in a window and then ruined my wife's drapes. Uh, it's, and every time we go away and come back for vacation, whatever, we'd come back and Boots would go crazy. It's crazy. So finally my wife was fed up and took Boots sent boots to hell, uh, took boots to the vet. Now, I don't, now, you can talk to my wife about that. I might have said, don't send me the email. Don't, what do you, don't send me the email. I really don't have anything else to say tonight. The rest of the chapter, verses 3 and following, uh, but you, come here, you sons of a sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Whom are you mocking? And whom do you sneer? And then verse 5, he says, You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sacrifice your children in the ravines. Ancient abortion. Verse 7, uh, You've made your bed on high and on a high and lofty hill. There you went up to offer your sacrifices. What they would do in these pagan worship services is they would uh, build their places of worship up on a hill and especially around trees because uh, what they did is they engaged in sexual immorality with pagan prostitutes and all. And uh, the idea, the belief was that the more you did that, the more fertile your life would be. And they put all the places of worship around a very fertile area and up high because they had this crazy idea that if they got up further, they're closer to their gods. It's just ridiculous. But this chapter, uh, the last part of it, after just opening with, hey, uh, God's letting some people die, the righteous, by faith, and they're escaping all this going on in this state. They're escaping all the, the paganism and all the idolatry. And it's amazing how far Israel had fallen. It's incredible when you read this chapter, verse 9, of chapter 57, you went to Molech with olive oil and increased your perfumes. That's tied in uh, with sacrificing your children in the ravines because Molech was a god that... Uh, suggested and believed or had them actually sacrifice their children to him. It's ancient abortion. And they had fallen so far. He says in verse 13, when you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But, and here's the contrast again, but the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. So you have tremendous contrast. Verse 14, and it'll be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse forever. Nor will I always be angry. And God was angry at their sin and their idolatry. 
For then the spirit of man would grow faint before me, the breath of man that I have created. I was enraged by his sinful greed. I punished him. And God had brought calamity upon them to try to bring them to repentance. I punished him and hid my face in anger. Yet he kept on in his willful ways. I've seen his ways. But here's the contrast again. I will heal him if he'll repent. I'll guide him and restore uh, comfort to him, creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. Peace, peace to those far and near. Again, no matter how far away you are or how close you are, I'll heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked or for the unrepentant. Then if you'll skip chapter 58, because we covered that not long ago, chapter 59, the question is asked, verse 1, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Last part of verse 9, same chapter, we look for light but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Verse 12, first part, our offenses are many in your sight and our sins testify against us. Verse 15, the last part, the Lord looked and was displeased and there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So what did he do? He said, well, they're hopeless. Just give up. No, his own arm, Work salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, he's not talking about salvation for God. God doesn't need to be saved. They need to be saved. They're the ones with the issues. They're the ones that have strayed so far. And you read that, and you realize what a gracious and merciful God we serve. He works salvation for a people that certainly didn't deserve it and could not save themselves. What an amazing thing. Famous verse in chapter 64, verses 5 and 6, you come to help to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? Good question. All of us have become like one who is unclean. The word is the word also used for the uncleanness of a woman every month in her period. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's the Hebrew word. Same word. Used there. You can't help but read that section and go back to Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah 53 is the hallmark chapter of God working salvation for a people that had strayed so far away and that could not save themselves. Verse 2 He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised 
and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, they thought he was dying because he was cursed by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced, here it is, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him, cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and proclaim, prolong his days, and the Lord will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great, and he'll divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. And don't miss this last little statement. For he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. Romans 5a, God demonstrates his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah chapter 60 to 62, and I'm not going to read all the verses. Tremendous promises. Literal promises to the people of Israel that one day they'll be the head and not the tail. One day they'll be blessed beyond uh, your wildest imagination. And yet in these two chapters also implication of those who have been grafted into Israel spiritually. That's me. That's you if you know Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. End of verse 10, though in anger I struck you in favor, I will show you compassion. I love verse 11. You can write down beside it, Revelation 21 verse 25 says the same thing, basically. Your gates, Jerusalem, will always stand open. They'll never be shut day or night, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings led in triumphal procession. Verse 14 and following, the sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 15, although you have been forsaken and hated with no one traveling through, I'll make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. End of verse 17, I'll make peace your governor, righteousness your ruler. 
End of verse 18, you'll call your walls salvation and your gates praise. End of verse 20, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. End of verse 22, I'm the Lord. In its time, I'll do this swiftly. Amazing promises. Chapter 61, the last part of verse 9, all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Isn't it great to be saved? And arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Chapter 62, verse 2, the nations will see your righteousness in all kings your glory. You'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name, uh, your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. It means my delight is in her. And your land Beulah, it means married because God had divorced Israel at one point. Verse 11, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see Your Savior comes, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you'll be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. There's another scripture that says in this day, 10 people will take hold of one Jew and say, let me go with you to where you live because God is with you. Amazing, glorious promises. But there is a problem. (laughs) There's a problem. You have a contrast all throughout Isaiah. Here's God's grace. Here's his mercy. Here's his promise. He's a God who works salvation for those who can't work salvation for themselves. He gives glorious promises. But the problem is the people he's dealing with. Chapter 65, verse 1, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. Same chapter, chapter 65, verse 11. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, again, pagan practices, I will destine you for the sword and you will all bend down for the slaughter. For I called, I called, but you didn't answer. I spoke, but you didn't listen. Chapter 63, the last part of verse 9, here's the heart of God. In all their distress, he too is distressed. It's one little short verse, but says volumes about the heart of God. The calamities that he had allowed to come upon them uh, were meant to try to get their attention, to bring them to a place of humility so that they would repent, so that they would turn, and so that he could heal them spiritually and ultimately heal them in every way. God does not delight at all, in people who refuse to repent. 
It grieves his heart. He's distressed. Twice in Ezekiel, he says basically the same thing. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do I take pleasure, any pleasure, in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Brother, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Ezekiel 33, verse 11, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise of his second coming and of fulfilling all the prophecies like in Isaiah chapter 60 to 62 and all the other wonderful promises in the Word of God for those who have repented. He's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, no, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the next verse, verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. First problem uh, is their stubborn hearts, but then there's a second one, and I close with this. The second problem is a limited opportunity. Limited opportunity. Turn with me just for a minute. Keep a marker in Isaiah. We're coming back. Uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Verse 14, Luke chapter 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the Lord's grace. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, most of us perhaps know, but for those that don't, back in Isaiah chapter 61, in the midst of all this contrast, well, here's the tremendous promises if you'll repent, uh, here's the consequences if you don't, and then chapter 61 The place where Jesus read from, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stopped. And he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant. But that's not all the verse. And the day of vengeance of our God. 
and that's coming. Why would he just read just that one part of the verse? Because this is the time of the Lord's favor. But there's coming a time where you won't have an opportunity. There's coming a time where there won't be an opportunity to repent. There's coming a time when there won't be another opportunity to be saved. You believe in hell? I do. <laughs> so I don't know if I believe in the hell of the Bible. Well, you, do you believe in the hell that Jesus talked about? <laughs> uh, because that's a hell. He said, the worm will never die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus believed in hell, literal hell. Damnation and, and unbelievable. I, listen, you talk about this past weekend. I can't fully get my, my mind around God becoming flesh and all that we talked about, but I also really I can't get my mind around an eternal destiny where someone is damned and, and there is no purgatory and there's no place and there's no way you can pray them out of it after they're gone because now is the time of the Lord's favor. And in this life, this is the only time once this life is over, and then there's coming a day where there no longer be an opportunity for anyone because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And when he comes back, that's the second part of Isaiah 61. When he comes back, he's coming in glory. He's coming with power and might. He's not riding a donkey when he comes the second time. He's riding a white horse, and he's coming to take vengeance, and he's coming to pour out wrath, and he's coming, and after the seven years of pouring out wrath upon the earth, and he does it slowly, little by little, little by little. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. And just like the calamity that came to Israel and Judah time and time again, that came a little bit and a little more, and if they continued to harden their heart a little more, what was God trying to do? He's trying to get their attention and continue to give them an opportunity to repent. To repent. You want to go to hell with boots? You can. But I'm going to see Tiger. Do you have a Christian cat too? There's two. <laughs> it's an interesting message God gave me. I just that's it. That's the message. That's the message. And it could be there's somebody here right now that needs to be saved. And if that's you, I encourage you, I encourage you. Would you give your life to Jesus Christ? As we bow just for a moment, Lord Jesus, that person right now that's listening to my voice that doesn't need to play Russian roulette with their soul, and, Lord, you've brought conviction. And, uh, Lord, save them now. Save them now. Is that you? It's a simple message. Hey, the gospel message is simple. Jesus Christ, he died for you, for me, for the world, so that we would not have to be damned for all eternity. There's someone here tonight 
Right now, perhaps, you need to be saved. It's not just belief in God. It's receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to do that. Can I just lead you in this simple prayer? You say it from your heart. You're praying to Him. You're praying to Him, not to me. You say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now help me to live for you the rest of this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the end of the service, uh, well, I'm going to ask the prayer counselors at the very end, even if people are still praying and all and worshiping, uh, to just come and be available on the right and on the left. And if you just pray that prayer, I'd like to send you a letter, if you'll let me, that uh, I send to every new believer. We'd like to give you a Bible. So after the service, if you want to come down uh, to one of our prayer counselors and just let me get your address, only letter I'll send you. That's the only one, okay? i just tell you four things the Bible talks about that are vital for you growing in your faith. But we're getting ready to move into a time of worship and prayer, all right? And I'm going to address that in just a minute. But if you just prayed that prayer, uh, I like to give people an opportunity to do what I call seal the deal. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me, I'll deny you. Hey, listen, uh, I always say too, you, a lot of times I say, if you can't confess Christ in a church service, you're going to have a real difficult time confessing him out there. You just prayed that prayer. Would you, at the end, please come, if you will. Let, me give you, let us give you a Bible. Let me send you that letter. But let's seal the deal right now just by you standing to your feet. In this public place with everybody looking, you say, I prayed that prayer. God bless you, man, right here. Praise the Lord. God bless you right here and right here and right here and right here and right here. God bless you and right here. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Woo! That's cool, isn't it? Praise the Lord, man. You're going to really like Tiger. Let me tell you. <laughs> Bob, are you playing background music or Dave, are you playing background music while we pray? What are we doing? Bob, live. Here's what we want to do. We want to spend just a few minutes. You can pray on your own. You can pray in your group. Some of you that are regulars now that we've done it a few times, maybe you already kind of have relationships around you and you kind of know your group, all right? That's fine. Uh, you can pray in a group. You can pray on your own. You can come down here and bow. Uh, and I wanna, don't want to limit what you're praying for, but I, but I do want to say what I felt the Spirit of God say to me, especially from Isaiah today, is that we need to intercede for people who are lost. And personally, people you know. People you work with, people in your family. I think every one of us has got family members, at least one, that needs to be saved. And, and if you don't feel comfortable in a group mentioning someone's name, that's fine. You just pray from your heart. You know, but if you feel comfortable and it's okay to mention their name, then you mention their name. You know, pray for my brother, whatever his name is, and uh, your brother according to the flesh, you know, your flesh and blood kin. And let's intercede. I'm not doing it because it's Christmas. I'm doing it because I felt the Spirit of God lead us to do it. But uh, it is statistically proven 
that more people get saved at the Christmas holiday, statistically, than any other time of the year. So great opportunity. Let's pray. Let's pray. Pray for God to convict them. Pray for God to grant them repentance. Pray for opportunities for witness, not just you. Sometimes it's somebody else. A prophet's not without honor except in his own country. Lord, send them somebody else. If it's not me, send somebody else. And let's pray for people to be saved. And while we're praying, would you pray for the services coming up uh, here, Christmas Eve and then the day after Christmas? It's always a harvest, but listen, we ought to pray. God, prepare hearts. Lead people here. Uh, People that are getting invited, Lord, to help them, to give them a heart to come, uh, to be here. All right? So either in small groups or individually, let's just spend a few minutes, and then Bob's going to lead us out of that prayer time uh, with a song, okay? And I'll give you a little instruction from there. Let's pray.